0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolls, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible.
1: Last week, we talked about the sixth seal and how it represents the rapture. But what happens after the rapture? Let's talk about it, coming up next. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Toles, and I'm the director of Church Discipleship Ministries. I want to welcome you to our Discipleship program, Todd Talks Bible. We are going to look at Revelation chapter 7 today. And what's interesting is, last week, we talked about the sixth seal and how it represents the rapture, and those were the last few verses of chapter 6, but the seventh seal doesn't start until chapter 8, verse 1, and sandwiched in between those is chapter 7, which are two events that I think are connected to the sixth seal, probably happening right after the rapture. You see, there's no way that Jesus can show John a vision of everything that's happening simultaneously. His brain just couldn't handle that. So he shows him what's happening on earth and then shows him what's happening at heaven at the same time. Now we talked about this. This is a literary device that authors use even today when they're writing novels to let the action catch up with itself so that the reader can know what's happening at the same time in two different areas. And that's kind of like what's going on here. John just saw what happened when the rapture occurred there on earth and how people were crying out for the rocks to follow them. And now in chapter 7, he's getting a view of what is going on in heaven right after those events, right after the rapture, but still in connection to the sixth seal. So let's dive right in, shall we, and start reading Revelation chapter 7. Starting in verse 1. Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds from blowing upon the earth. Not a leaf rustled in the trees, and the sea became as smooth as glass. And I saw another angel coming from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted out to those four angels who had been given power to injure land and sea. Wait! Don't hurt the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. There were 144,000 who were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. So John are seeing events that are connected up to heaven and seeing some angels preparing to start judging the earth with God's judgments by doing things that will read later to the sea and the trees and things like that. Now, what's interesting is that an angel rises up and says, Stop! Don't do any of these judgments yet. Don't cause any damage until we mark the forehead with the seal of God of God's servants. This is commonly known as the marking of the 144,000. Now, the four winds that are referenced here, I believe, is referring back to a passage in Ezekiel 37, verse 9, where the Spirit of God breathes life into the bones in the Valley of Bones. These, these dead bones come together, and then they grows flesh and skin, but the body still don't have life. And so the four winds breathe life into these bodies. Now, what's interesting about that, the Hebrew word for wind is the same word, ruach, that is used for breath and also for the spirit of God. So when it says that God breathed life into Adam after he formed him in clay, he was saying that he breathed the spirit, a human spirit inside Adam. Adam. Because we all know that uh, humans are composed of three components, spirit, soul, and body. So he gave him that spirit. Now also we see this with the valley of the dry bones, like we were talking about. That represents the nation of Israel coming together. They have bones, they have flesh, they have skin, they look like they're a regular nation, but they don't believe in the Messiah yet. They don't have the spirit of God in them yet. And so there will be a Revival, I think, that's what Ezekiel prophesying, that something happens where the four winds breathe the Spirit in them, gives them the breath of life. So ruach means breath, wind, or the Spirit. And if you look at that passage in Ezekiel 37, verse 9, it's clear that John is referencing that passage, and this vision is relating the four winds to the Holy Spirit. So in other words, after the rapture, the Holy Spirit is pulling back his influence on the world. Remember, he convicts the world of unrighteousness and of the coming judgment, and it's through his movements in our hearts that allows us to receive the gospel in faith and to accept Jesus as our Savior. It's the Holy Spirit that works on the hearts of people, calling them to the Lord. And if the Holy Spirit, you know, pulls back, and like the four winds are blocked off, then it's going to be a lot tougher for people to have a conviction in their heart and to really humble themselves and turn to the Lord. And that's the sad thing about this coming judgment. They had their chance, yet now the Holy Spirit is kind of pulling back his ministry a little bit and allowing the judgment to come. Now, the marking of this 144,000 is interesting because also it refers to them as servants. Let me read it again. In verse um, 3, Wait, don't hurt the land or sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. So this is saying that these 144,000 Jews are servants of God. Now, why didn't they leave? When the rapture came, well, I would assume this means that they were not saved at that time because everyone who is saved will leave as part of the bride of Christ when Jesus returns in the sixth seal and meets us up in the sky. But they obviously probably weren't saved yet. But after the sign of the rapture, remember I said that's a prophetic sign. And when the rapture occurs, I think a lot of people realize they were wrong and turned to the Lord in salvation. Probably a small percentage of the world's population because the hard heart of most of the people will continue to follow after their sins. Well, this group evidently repented and got saved. So God's using them as his servants. Now, this is also interesting because when he marks them out, it's kind of going to protect them because the angel is saying, don't hurt anything till we mark them. And that kind of implies that once they have the seal, that all the, other, all the other angels will know that when they start causing these judgments not to harm these people. Now, this has happened before, believe it or not. You may think I'm just making this up, but I'm not. This has happened before in Ezekiel chapter nine, verses three through six. Let me read it to you, I think you'll find it very interesting. Ezekiel writes, starting in verse 3, Then the glory of the God of Israel rose up from between the cherubim, where he had rested, and moved to the entrance of the temple. And the Lord called to the man dressed in linen, who was carrying the writer's case. He said to him, Walk through the streets of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of all those who weep, and sigh because of the sins they see around them. Then I heard the Lord say to the other men, follow him through the city and kill everyone whose forehead is not marked. Show no mercy, have no pity, kill them all, old and young, girls and women and little children, but do not touch anyone with the mark. So in this passage, We see something that's going on. Ezekiel the prophet sees this vision. And this is right before Jerusalem was besieged by uh, Babylon and it was destroyed. And later the temple was burned up. And so the glory of God is leaving because he's fixing to bring judgment on Judah, on Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah. And this is kind of the same thing we see with the Holy Spirit in the four winds. He's pulling back because judgment's coming here in chapter 7. Well, back in Ezekiel's day, when he had this vision and the glory of the Lord moved off, before they did judgment, God ordered an angel to go by and put a mark on the forehead of everyone who was righteous. People who grieved at the sin they saw. You see, a righteous person does not like seeing the sin in society. And you as a Christian, if you are sad and depressed because of what you're seeing that's going on in our country, it's because the Holy Spirit is grieved within your spirit, and you too are grieving because of the sin of everything that's going on. So this is a sign that these were righteous people, and God put a mark on them. And he said that judgment's going to come and wipe out everybody, kill everybody but not to harm those who had the seal on their forehead, who had the mark that the angel put on their forehead. So God was protecting these righteous people from the uh, death that would come from the destruction of Jerusalem. These people would be allowed to live and probably be carried off to Babylon as refugees. So that is what's going on in Ezekiel. And This is the same thing that's happening in Revelation chapter 7. The angel stood up under the orders of God and said, Wait, don't don't judge anything. Don't cause any damage yet until we mark the 144,000 servants. And so they paused and someone put the seal of God on the forehead of these 144,000 servants. So this means that the judgments that are coming during this seven-year period of God's judgment, the time of Jacob's distress, will probably not affect these servants. They'll end up dying, as you see, but it's because they end up being martyred by the Antichrist when we see subsequent chapters in the book of Revelation. But now they're being protected from all the different judgments that are going on. These natural phenomena that causes destruction on earth They're going to be protected. And this is the same thing that happened with the uh, Hebrews when they were enslaved in Egypt. Many of the plagues that uh, God brought on Egypt did not affect the Hebrews. And that's what's happening here. Just like the Christians who believe in Jesus now are protected from the judgment by being raptured, these 144,000 that are marked out are being protected from the judgment so that they can serve God and do what he wants them to do. Now, someone asks all the time, is it literally 144,000? Well, I don't see any reason why not to think that. Throughout the Bible, we have very specific uh, dates and very specific periods of time and very specific numbers. And they seem to have been accurate all the way up to this time. So I really don't see any reason to doubt that this isn't truly 144,000. But it may not be. It may be a number that represents just a whole lot of the Jewish people that turned to Christ. I don't know. But I kind of lean towards it being literal, because that's kind of how the whole numbering system goes throughout the Bible. All the numbers we read tend to be very literal. So 12,000, as we read from each tribe, are marked out and going to be protected, a total of 144,000, during this time of Jacob's distress. They'll be protected from the plagues so that they can serve God. Now, what are they going to be doing to serve God? Well, I think not only are they going to be saved, and, and, you know, obviously they've turned to Jesus, now they're his servants, and they will be represent the the core group of Israel that believes the Messiah that we read about like in Romans uh, 9 and 10. But also, I think they're going to be witnesses. Now, it doesn't say that, you know, exactly in this passage. I'm kind of guessing here. So if you disagree, that's okay. But the reason I think they're witnesses is because it makes it clear that they will be God's servants and that they're going to be living during this time yet protected and later on, we see that the Antichrist, you know, martyrs them. So they're obviously involved in some kind of ministry of spreading the gospel. You see, God is a merciful God. And even though the Holy Spirit is pulling back, and God is pulling back his influence on in the hearts of people so that this judgment can come. And it will be a lot tougher for people to feel this conviction and humble themselves to turn to Jesus to be saved. Most will have such hard hearts that they'll follow the evil uh, 10 king confederation and follow the government of the antichrist. And we'll see that in the book of Revelation. But there will be some that listen to these witnesses. You see, God is not wanting anybody to perish. So even during this time of judgment, he marks out 144,000 special troops, special forces, if you will, that are there to spread the gospel and try and reach everyone that's possible with a soft heart that will turn to Jesus so that that they won't perish when they don't have to, because God doesn't want anyone to perish. So I think part of their job is to be witnesses. And I'm not just guessing about this. I have a little bit of evidence. If you want to hear it, do you want to hear it? Well, let's look at it. Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 16. In earlier days, he, referring to God, in earlier days, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left himself without a witness. So you see, and throughout man's history, there have been times when God has finally said, I'm just going to let them suffer the fruit of their sin and let the nations and the people go their own way. But he always, he always keeps a witness there. Sometimes it's people, sometimes it's circumstances like uh drought and things like that. Things to wake them up so that they will repent of their sins and turn to God. So he always has a witness. He always has some way of getting the message of the gospel of salvation out. And he's done that throughout history as we read from what Paul was saying in Acts chapter 14. So, I think these 144,000 are God's witness during the seven-year period of time called Jacob's distress. The seven-year period of God's judgment upon the earth for all of its sin and evil. But God in his mercy is having these 144,000 still there. And they will be, I think, filled with the Spirit. Even though the Holy Spirit's pulling back, I think it will go back to like the days of the Old Testament where selective people were filled with the Spirit. I think these 144,000 will be filled with the Spirit and be empowered by the Spirit to spread the gospel to those who are going through this time of judgment. Well, let's go on. If we read later on in verses 5 through 8, it actually lists... Uh the number of tribe, the number of people from each tribe is marked out. Now, I'm not going to read this because it just lists all the tribes, and I'll put them on the screen real quick. As you can see, it just says 12,000 from each tribe. But as you scan down through it, you'll notice that there is no tribe of Dan mentioned. Where is the tribe of Dan? Now, to be honest with you, No one knows for sure. No one knows for sure. This is one of those things we'll have to wait to get up to heaven and ask Jesus about to make sure. But just an educated guess from uh, me and uh, many other biblical scholars kind of lean this way too. There's a good chance that Dan was omitted because throughout their history they had a consistent uh, sin of idolatry they were consistently turning away from God and worshiping idols. And there were several passages in the Old Testament that warns them not to do that or they'd lose their inheritance. And in fact, in Judges chapter 18, they basically give up their inheritance and live just in a small village so that they could worship a carved image that a man named Micah had carved. And in Amos 8 verse 14, it says this, And those who worship and swear by the idols of Samaria, Dan, and Beersheba will fall down never to rise again. So perhaps the tribe of Dan is omitted because they left their birthright and they turned to worshiping idols. We don't know for sure. That's just an educated guess. So the first event is the marking of the 144,000. And these will be 144,000 witnesses that will share the gospel through the seven-year period of Jacob's distress, of the seven-year period of God's judgment. And they will be servants of God spreading the gospel, and they will be marked and sealed on the forehead so that uh, when the destruction and judgments come, uh, the angels will protect them from having to go through these problems. They will have to face horrible martyrdom but these other things it appears that God's going to protect them from so that they can complete their mission of spreading the gospel. So that's the first event we see after the rapture. Now the second event we see after the rapture is what I like to call the worship service of the martyred. The worship service of the martyred. Let's read about this in the second half of Revelation chapter 7 starting in verse nine. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from our God on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God. They said, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these who are clothed in white? Where do they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you're the one who knows. Then he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. That is why they are standing in the in front of the throne of God, serving him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will live among them and shelter them. They will never again be hungry or thirsty, and they will be fully protected from the scorching noontime heat. For the lamb who stands in front of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe away all their tears. Isn't that a beautiful passage? Here is this huge, vast crowd that John says is too large to count, and they are there worshiping the Lord, saying, Salvation comes from our God on the throne and from the Lamb. And to honor these people, all the angels are in attendance, and they're all collectively, the people and the angels, worshiping the Lord God on his throne and praising Jesus, the Lamb of God, who shed his blood for us. Now, if you notice that these people are clothed in white, in verse 9, it says they were clothed in white. Now, we've seen this expression before. And what does this white mean? Well, again, I think it signifies righteousness and the works or deeds of righteousness. Let me read you a passage real quick in Revelation chapter 19, uh, in verse 8. And the last part of verse 8, it says, fine linen represents the good deeds done by the people of God. And then later on in verse 14, it talks about the armies of heaven were dressed in pure white linen. So you see, uh, in the vision here, white, the white robes represent the righteousness of the person. And also the deeds of righteousness, because you you can't do deeds of righteousness unless you're righteous. Uh, otherwise, you're just doing uh, fake works to try and look good. But true righteous people have righteous deeds for the glory of God. And so, when in this vision that John's having, whenever you see someone that's clothed in white, it's saying that they're believers. They're saved. They're either angels. Or they're believers who have turned to Christ, and they're all declared righteous. Now, it's interesting that this group is told to John who they are. In verse 14, he says, who are these people? And John goes, I don't know. You're the one that knows, sir. And he says, these are the ones that come out of the great tribulation." Now, we've talked about this before. We've talked about it a dozen times, I'm sure. But this is important. I want to emphasize it again. If you don't get anything out of these lessons on the book of Revelation, please learn this. The great tribulation that's mentioned here is not, I repeat, is not talking about that seven-year period of time of God's judgment that's fixing to happen. It is not talking about that. It is not talking about that seven-year period of Jacob's distress. Now, I know lots of books, lots of novels, and lots of preachers have said the Great Tribulation is that seven-year period. But that just isn't true. If you want to follow the proper rules of Bible study and looking at the Greek language, this word is thalipsis. The Greek word for tribulation is "thelipsis." And whenever it's used, just like I said last week, and I've said many, many times, whenever it's used, it's talking about troubles for Christians, like spiritual troubles they're going through, or predominantly, the vast majority of the time it's used, it's talking about Christian persecution. Christians being persecuted. They go through thalipsis, And in the English Bible, sometimes it is translated as tribulation. Because that's what Christ said, he said, "You will go through tribulations." Paul told people that they would go through many tribulations. In fact, let me chase a rabbit here, and I'll look up acts fourteen twenty two acts fourteen twenty two and let me read it to you acts fourteen twenty two says the same phrase, and it uses uh, the word ellipsis. Paul is preaching to uh, the believers there, and it says they encourage them to continue in the faith, reminding them that they must enter into the kingdom of God through many tribulations, through many tribulations, through many philipsis, through many tribulations. So you see, there's not just one tribulation that's called the great tribulation uh, that lasts seven years. No, that is called the time of Jacob's distress in the Bible. And I've quoted those passages for you. I'm not going to show them to you again. That seven-year period of God's judgment is referred to in the Old Testament as the time of Jacob's distress. These people he's seen come from the great persecution, the great philipsis. Well, what was the great persecution? The fifth seal, martyrdom. That's the same a uh, huge worldwide persecution of Christians that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. So this worldwide persecution, the fifth seal, one of the things that last things that happens to believers before they're raptured here on earth—a worldwide persecution from the worldwide government that is in rebellion against God, going after all the Christians. And this will cause us, like Jesus said in Matthew 24, to spread the gospel to every corner of the world. And so these are the people that come from the fifth seal, the martyrdom. And in fact, let me review with you what it says about these people in Revelation 6, verse 11. Let's start back in verse 10. And they called loudly to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long will it be before you judge the people who belong to this world for what they have done to us? When will you avenge our blood against these people? So these are the martyred saints, and they're saying, Lord, when will you avenge us? And it says in verse 11, Then a white robe was given to each of them, And they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, had been martyred. So this is telling John that these are the people that came from the great Philipsis, the great tribulation, the great, or more accurately, the great persecution. Get it out of your head that it's out of that seven-year period of time. It is not. It is one of the last things that happens in the last days of the church age. John realizes these were the ones that spread all across the world and took the gospel with them and were hunted down by the one world government. And they kept their faith. And they died well because they were spreading the truth and they kept their faith in Christ. And when it's all over, all they can do is be up there and worship God. You see, it's funny to me because I'm sure all the angels are in attendance to honor these people because they deserve a special reward, I think. They deserve a special crown because they uh, did not love their life, even to death, and they resisted the temptation to give up their faith. They kept their faith, and they died for Christ. Well, Instead of them accepting the angel's praise, no, these people, all they can think about is worshiping God. And they bow down and they say to God, salvation comes from you, O God, on the throne and from the Lamb. See, they don't care about having to die on the earth anymore. They don't care how they had to die for Christ. All they cared about was seeing Jesus. And so they have this special worship service. And they're given a special reward. It says that they were allowed to worship Jesus and worship the king and be before him constantly there in the throne room of God. Now, I think this is interesting. And a lot of people say, oh, I want to be like that. I'm jealous. Well, everyone has a different story. And when we get up to heaven, everyone will have different rewards. And those of us who maybe die before Christ comes back will be part of the rapture. And some of us who are alive when Christ comes back to collect his church will be caught up also in the rapture. But, you know, some of us may not have died during that fifth seal. We may have survived and we get raptured. So we will have a different thing as the bride of Christ, we get to get raptured. This group died, and, and, and yes, they were raptured too. Their souls came back, but they deserve something a little extra, I think. And who knows? Maybe it's for every believer that survives uh, through the fifth seal, whether they died or not, we don't know. But if I was to die today and I go up to heaven, I don't get this reward, but that's okay with me because God's got a different reward for me because my story is different. So don't be jealous. Rejoice that these people are able to see the king and the God they died for face to face. And also remember that these special rewards given to them can be applied to us, too. Listen to it in verse 17 again. For the lamb who stands in front of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of life-giving water and God will wipe away all their tears. Isn't Jesus our shepherd too? So see, we can apply that to our life. And don't we also look forward to seeing the living water, that wonderful river, the living water of God flowing from his throne? Yeah. And don't we also, Look forward to the time when Jesus dries our tears. Yeah. So even though this is a special wor- worship service for those that came out of the great persecution, the fifth seal, it can be applied to us too. And you can take encouragement in that. And I, I think you should. Listen, when I'm recording this, it's is about a week or two before it actually gets posted on uh YouTube and on the different um podcast platforms. So I'm recording this ahead of time, but when this gets posted, it'll be the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And you know there's all kinds of bad things going on in our country now and you may not think, you know, feel like you're thankful. And and, and a lot of people, a lot of governors are trying to say don't have Thanksgiving, and I think that's a mistake. You see, Thanksgiving is one true Christian holiday. There's no commercialism like Christmas has. This is truly was started by Christians that just wanted to worship God. And in the Psalms, it says, Praise is the one true sacrifice that's worthy of God. We should praise Him. We should thank Him. So, this Thanksgiving... If you have a chance, get along by yourself and and lead your family, if you have a family with you, in praise and thanks to God. Because he is our shepherd. And he will lead us to the living waters. And he will dry our tears. You may be going through tough times now. The whole nation is going through tough times. COVID is beginning to rise up again and spike in many different areas. You may know some people who are sick. You may know some people like we do who have perished because of this virus. But that doesn't mean we can't still praise God. I know these people that died in our family are in heaven. And so I look forward to seeing them on the day of the rapture. So let's not lose hope. Let's not get discouraged to the point that we don't thank God. We should never get to the point where the world hammers us down so much that we get self-centered and we take God for granted. No, we should always keep Him first. We should always be gazing at Him as we pray to Him, and we should all make sure that we thank Him for all that He's done for us. Because he is taking care of Christians, even in these dark days. And he is leading us to the living waters. And he does, even now, dry our tears when we pray to him. Doesn't he? So, we can take these wonderful rewards that these martyrs got, and we can apply them to our lives. And that's the two things that happens immediately after the rapture. One is this great worship service. But also, out of his great mercy, God makes sure there are special people left to witness to those that have to go through this seven-year period of God's judgment in the hopes that they, too, will turn to Christ. Isn't that always just like God, never giving up? Not wanting anyone to perish. And that in itself is something we should thank God for. Because of that grace and that mercy that he has, you and me were allowed to come to him and get saved. So this Thanksgiving, praise his name. And until next time, keep
0: your eye to the sky and read your Bible. Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.